G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Monday, always good to touch base and get some insights into this week's political agenda. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, back with us once again. Hello Martin, welcome back to 2020. Good morning Neil, good to be with you again. Oh, Martin, there is a lot of things on the agenda and some things that are extremely important. Let me start, though, with uh, Asia Bibi, the Pakistani Christian woman. Uh, give us a little update on uh, what might be happening with those offers of asylum for her. Well, this is a good news story before we get into the muck of what's going on today, Neil. <laughs> the, good, the good news story is that um, it was Wilson Chowdhury, actually, from the British Pakistani Christian Association, who came to Australia last week, and ACL joined him. And we've both been lobbying for Asya Bibi for a long time, Wilson, uh, admittedly, since the very beginning, because of his connections. And we took up the baton here in Australia a few years back under my predecessor, Lyle Shelton. And the whole point was, uh, please, Australia make an offer of asylum to this persecuted woman who has been in solitary confinement on death row for nearly a decade for saying uh, a simple statement to some people who um, insulted her God. And she said, my Christ died for me. What has Muhammad done for you? And she was accused of blasphemy. And the persecution and pain uh, that she suffered has just been dreadful. Uh, And that story is on an interview on the ACL Facebook page um, that I did with Wilson. For anyone who's interested, but long story short, we finished our week of lobbying uh, with the Australian government having put an offer of asylum to Asya Bibi and her family on the table as part of negotiations with other countries. So she has uh, firm offers from Australia or fir- uh, firm offers about to come through from Australia and it looks like Canada um, and uh, therefore there will be almost a choice actually as to where she goes. Uh, I suspect she will end up going to Canada but it's not certain and we may not find out because there's a great deal of secrecy around the process and the government was keen to convey to us that the offer will be made uh, and thanks for all the efforts on lobbying that and I know that they said that they heard from a lot of constituents in the Australian public, so all those who are listening who may have contacted MPs and senators and so forth over the course of the last few years, thank you. Uh, so it's a really wonderful outcome but for security reasons I don't know how much detail we'll hear from this point forward but it looks like she will be either Canadian or Australian. Well, I suspect there is a nationwide corporate sigh of relief that our government has put up its hand and made that offer of asylum. And as you say, uh, there may not be a lot of detail, at least not in the short term. We might find out some time down the track uh, that she's been in hiding and potentially here on Australian shores. Uh, that's a significant thing in itself, that there has been an offer. But uh, uh, before we move on from this, uh, Pakistan has been going through all sorts of upheaval over this whole issue with Asia Bibi and I mean there's even a headline today I mean they're trying to rein in the power of Islam in Pakistan Uh, a headline in the Asian media reporting that a hardline cleric has been charged with terrorism and sedition 
by the Pakistani government after he led lots of those protests and hundreds yeah. of thousands of people were protesting. Uh, there is a real challenge, isn't there, ahead? And uh, I'm not, not sure you're across all of that detail, Martin, but, but Pakistan's going through the mill right now, uh, trying to bring under control uh, the mob rule that seems to be wanting to even overtake the government. Well, yes, I think there's some truth in, in that, and the stories are indicating as much. Now, what Wilson Chowdhury shared with me when he was here was that this is the power of international pressure. Um, and the reason, potentially the reason Asya Bibi is alive is because the world was watching. Uh, the, in Pakistan, they have terrible, terrible issues with extremist Islam, and I had long conversations with Wilson about this. Um, and in fact, the people are very illiterate, uh, very poor, uh, and so they're easily uh, led by imams and so forth. And the kind of Islam that permeates Pakistan is very, very extreme indeed. And the violence is, is shocking and the persecution of Christians is intense, uh, really intense and very severe, as the case of Asubibi shows. Now, that is largely left, you know, fairly unaddressed in many cases. But when the world watches, it makes a big difference. And Wilson was very keen that as many offers of asylum come from around the world as possible in order to send that message that the world is watching. And it's interesting that uh, so many extremists have actually been arrested uh, since the Asya Bibi protests, including the leader of the major political party that was pushing this, the TLP. Uh, and also Asya has been kept alive and she's been given very high quality military protection and put in a very, very safe place. Um, and all that because of international pressure. Now, my concern is that once this case is gone, the international pressure will start to uh, be alleviated. I don't think it should. I think countries should start looking at their foreign aid budget. Um, there should be a question about whether, in terms of cricket stations that play cricket with Pakistan, there's all sorts of options to, for nations who wish to apply continual pressure to say, look, keep the reforms going. They have options, and I'm concerned that the Australian government won't follow through on further options that exist, like the foreign aid budget. Right. Well, there's a discussion there for another day. Martin, let's come to what is a very important issue on the agenda for our federal parliament, a Senate debate today and potentially a vote on freedom for religious schools. How's that looking as things are shaping today? Well, this is really important and it's happening as we speak. So the vote today and that's therefore an issue for prayer. Um, what's happened is that late last week, uh, the Labor opposition introduced a bill into the Senate uh, to remove significant freedoms from religious schools and Christian schools. And by that, I just mean, actually, uh, it seriously undermines the Christian school's ability to teach their faith, to teach Christian principles. Um, it, uh, it, it has really serious ramifications for whether they can uphold their ethos uh, in the way that they discipline their student body and so forth. There's all kinds of issues that actually make it nearly impossible for Christian schools to operate wholly in accord with their ethos. It's a terrible, terrible piece of legislation. Uh, now, that's very concerning. Uh, but what's happened is, and, and actually at that stage, the government had no planned response. Uh, but what's happened since then is that the government has introduced some amendments, and those amendments significantly improve things. Uh, in fact, they, they overwhelmingly improve things. And it's vital that those amendments pass when the vote is held this afternoon. And there's no certainty to this. Uh, we've put a lot of pressure on. We've handed about 25,000 signatures of parents with children in Christian schools to the Prime Minister's office this morning. Uh, and we've sent that around to key people in the Parliament. Uh, there's lots of phone calls going through to uh, the offices of various senators encouraging them to write, vote the right way. 
What this essentially is going to come down to is that small group of senators that we call the crossbench. So you've got the big block of Liberal and Nationals on one side, big block of Labor and the Greens on the other. It looks like Liberal and Nationals will all vote for these amendments that are so important for protecting the future of religious schools. But that's not enough for it to pass the Senate. They need that, that group called the crossbench, uh, which includes, you know, Pauline Hanson, uh, it includes Darren Hinch and David Lionhelm and Peter Giorgio and these guys. Those guys need to vote the right way. So we've been encouraging people over the weekend and on Friday last week and this morning indeed to call the offices of those senators and politely say, look, please vote for the government's amendments uh, to uh, Labor's Sex Discrimination Act bill. Uh, and just to let them know that that's your view, and the more of that they get this morning leading up to the vote early this afternoon, the better. So if you're in New South Wales, you should contact Senator David Lionhelm and Senator Brian Burston in Queensland, uh, Senator Pauline Hanson. Victoria would be Senator Darren Hinch. Uh, Western Australia, Senator Peter Giorgio. And uh, in South Australia, Senators Tim Storer, Rex Patrick and Sterling Griff. Um, so there are those guys who aren't part of the Liberal, Labor, National or Greens parties, but they're in the other minor parties, ring them, contact them. And if you want to do more after you've done that, feel free to call your Labor senators as well, because some of them could actually vote the right way, but they'll just need a bit of encouragement to do so. And there's been real momentum from people who've been wanting to put their name to an endorsement of uh, doing the right thing by these uh, Christian religious schools, a petition that the Australian Christian Lobby ran uh, over just a couple of weeks. Almost 25,000 people responded. That's pretty significant, isn't it, Martin? Look, I think that is at short notice, yes. And that was just through our networks uh, and only people who have children or grandchildren in a Christian school. So not everybody was eligible to sign. Uh, and so to have nearly 25,000 who actually are part of these religious school communities saying, listen, please don't undermine our way of life or the choices that we've made for our children, because we've made tremendous sacrifices for this. And I know that that's true of most people with children at Christian schools. Uh, and to sign an open letter to the prime minister that says that is very powerful. And as I said before, I, I delivered that to the prime minister's office this morning uh, in Canberra. And so that is seen and they're aware of that. I've made sure that everybody knows. Um, and, uh, and, and, and also a number of the senators and members who will debate on this bill today when they get up and speak in the Senate are also aware and will refer to it. So uh, all those who signed that, that's actually been a tremendously powerful thing. I mean, 25,000 is a big number um, uh, in a debate like this and a big number of people with a direct interest in the issue. Uh, that's been very powerful and it's, uh, it's gone a long way. So my thanks to all who signed. Martin, let's take an opportunity to get some insights from you. If you're looking at any of the mainstream media headlines, uh, describing the Liberal Party as being in chaos, uh, you've had the resignation of Julia Banks moving to the crossbench. There's been a whole lot of issues. Let's start with the Julia Banks one. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, what are your thoughts on... Uh, on the big statement that she made by moving to the crossbench? Well, this is a... I feel, I feel terribly sorry for the Prime Minister, actually, at the moment. Uh, he seems to not be able to get a break. Um, and it is true, the sense that people have that the Liberal Party is in a bit of disarray, uh, and that is um, possibly an understatement. It, it, it really is in terrible disarray. The government's quite a mess at the moment. Uh, and that is because, um, well, it started when Malcolm Turnbull resigned, and he did that, it seems, with some spite. 
to try and undermine Scott Morrison's position because he resigned from a government that only had a one-seat majority in the lower house, so it was governing by the skin of its teeth, uh, and he resigns, uh, and then Karen Phelps won his seat, and so the government was thrown into minority, which makes things very unstable. That means they could lose a vote in the lower house if Labor can convince Karen Phelps and the others to vote with them. Uh, they could, you know, even no-confidence motions to bring the government down could be moved and all sorts. It becomes an absolute chaotic mess. And the government loses control of the legislative agenda uh, because they're not the only ones that can pass bills now. The other side can throw can lob bombs in the mix, like this religious freedom for school stuff has only been thrown in because they've got a whiff of victory. They think that they'll be able to uh, marshal the numbers in the parliament to get it through. So it causes all kinds of chaos. Now, that was bad enough, but as you've just said, Neil... Uh, he didn't just lose Malcolm Turnbull and then get Karen Phelps. Uh, he's now lost Julia Banks. Uh, and she's resigned from the Liberal Party as well, throwing the Prime Minister's government into an even greater minority. So it's a true minority government now. They're two seats short of a, minority, of a majority in the lower house. Uh, that, that's, a, <laughs> that's a terrible situation for the Prime Minister to be in. Uh, and in fact, that is why the government almost did not move amendments to try and fix this religious freedom issue for schools because they just didn't think that they'd get it through. They just thought that Labor would get the numbers. So you can see how quickly things can go wrong now. Um, that's all a problem and it makes it difficult for them going forward. But the other problem they've got is that the factions and groups within the party, some there's some left wing, there's some right wing you hear about this, there's the centrists, you know, they're all in their little clubs within the government. They're all at war with each other. They're all very upset with each other. They're blaming each other for the election loss in Victoria. Uh, you've got Malcolm Turnbull lobbing grenades from the sidelines still. He was, turns out, in cahoots with Karen Phelps all along. Uh, he's, uh, you know, uh, now sitting there passing his commentary on whether or not sitting members of the parliament should lose their pre-selections and so forth. Uh, and they really are causing each other a lot of trouble. Uh, and so you're going to see, I think, more disunity going forward. They're going to go out on their own and say inflammatory things in the media. They're going to keep attacking each other. I think it was Kelly O'Dwyer went out the other day and said, my party is sexist and homophobic, uh, and so on. They're always, you know, uh, insulting each other because they're upset. And so what we've got in a nutshell is a situation where the Liberal Party is being very, very good at attacking itself and attacking each other, and they're simply not fighting the opposition. Uh, and so long as that continues, I think that they're going to continue their downward spiral uh, and the prospect of a, a Scott Morrison government winning come May, if they survive to May, given the parlous state of the parliament, uh, the prospect of them winning in May at the federal election, I think, is getting thinner and thinner with every passing day. Uh, Malcolm, and, look, yeah, go on. Uh, Martin, I was going to say, uh, just to reflect uh, for a few moments on uh, practical things listeners may be able to do, uh, insofar as some of the issues where we talk about factions within the Liberal Party, uh, you know, you're talking about right and left and centrist and all those sorts of different factions. Uh, the issue with Craig Kelly and with uh, General, uh, you know, Jim Molan, Senator Jim Molan, uh, yeah. who are denied uh, pre-selection because of, uh, you know, legitimate processes within the Labor Party, uh, is this a factional issue, do you think, that's happening at the pre-selection level? Because I know that there'll be people listening to our conversation today and perhaps even members 
of Liberal Party or uh, the National Party or any party. It could be the Labor Party. It doesn't matter what party we're talking about here, but people who are a part of a pre-selection process uh, have a say over who is the candidate put forward for election. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on those two, which, and I think, as I understand it, they come from the Conservative uh, side, uh, of the yeah. Liberal Party, and uh, they, there seems to be a campaign that is trying to move uh, conservative candidates away from electable positions. Uh, what are your thoughts on that and, and what people might be able to do to help to arrest that? Well, I think you're, you're um, right, Neil, uh, and that's because uh, there's a bit of a pile-on on the Conservatives who are being blamed for the terrible, terrible election loss in Victoria. And so, uh, you know, uh, when opportunity knocks in politics, people tend to pile on. And the opportunity here is to make a scapegoat of conservative uh, people within the Liberal Party. And there's, there's a bit of that happening around the country. It depends on the state. You've identified, too, uh, correctly, that Jim Mullen lost his winnable spot on the Senate ticket in New South Wales. Craig Kelly's pre-selection was very seriously threatened. Looks like Scott Morrison might save his bacon. Um, so that is definitely happening. And I guess the moral of the story is uh, many people do sit back and they do wring their hands and get upset that there's not good politicians. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't realise how simple it is to help to select good politicians. It's as simple as joining your local branch of your favourite political party. Um, it's as simple as that. If you, if you tend to vote Liberal or you lean Liberal and you sign up to the Liberal Party and you just show up to the meeting, you can have an impact. Uh, New South Wales is a bit different because it's not as democratic as the other states, but certainly in all the other states, one member, one vote. Uh, you rock up to your meetings, you rock up to your pre-selections, and there's three candidates there, and you might look at one and think, well, that person's actually a really solid Christian, and these other two are not. And you can put your vote behind the solid Christian, uh, and that makes a difference. And people think that, you know, you'd need tons and tons and tons of sign-ups to make a difference. No, not really, actually. Some branches are very small. Just a few people signing up to this branch and that branch can make all the difference. And all of a sudden, you can find that the people standing for elections in key seats around the country are better people. It's that simple. And I often scratch my head and think, why don't more people who care about politics just join their local branch and go along and vote and participate in a sort of a moderate way that's not going to take up too much of their time and have a big impact on who sits in the, in the green chairs and the red chairs in the House of Representatives and the Senate uh, you know, during the week uh, and, and features in the political commentary. And the value of good people in Parliament, just, it just cannot be, um, cannot be overstated. There's some tremendous people up there who do great work. Uh, and the more of them we can have, the better, and it's as simple as signing up. So I'd actually encourage people to look into that. Uh, look into doing a sign-up and, and just show up to some meetings, learn the ropes, make some friends and slowly ease your way in and go in there with a the mindset that you're going to make a difference. You're going to vote for good people and make good change. And you know, it's a way that your Christian faith can be of practical, useful value to the whole nation. So uh, as simple as joining your favourite political party and not even taking sides in that, uh, but mm. having some say as to what candidates stand for pre pre-selection and therefore... Uh, as to be the member for your local community. Uh, we have run out of time. Thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts on these very important issues today, Martin Isles. There are lots of prayer points uh, for listeners who are hearing uh, some of the serious developments that we're talking about today. Uh, Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, acl.org.au, uh, to find some detail 
and resource about what's going on as things are developing politically in Australia. Martin, thanks for joining us today on 2020. Thanks again, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.